One of the things that the Bible affirms about God is that he is unchanging. But how is that logically possible? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, November the 12th of 2008, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our next lesson in our Knowing God series, in which we're studying the attributes of God in order that we can understand God himself more, uh, more thoroughly, more completely. So anyway, God bless you guys and welcome, and uh, thank you to those of you who are joining us to the first time. We are blessed to have you here, and we're, we're so glad to have you here. We would ask that you would uh, listen to some other lessons in order uh, that you can get a feel for where we are in this, um, especially in this series, if you would listen to uh, the introduction and maybe some of the lessons leading up to this one. But anyway... Hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, today is actually Tuesday for me. Uh, I have to. I, I don't have internet, so I have to record this a little bit ahead of time, and I'll bring it down to Panera Bread so that it'll be up tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow being today, Wednesday, if that makes any sense. But anyway, uh, yesterday, uh, Monday, Brian and I drove down to Little Rock to meet with uh, with Pastor Mark Demaz uh, from Mosaic Church of Central Arkansas. And boy, did he give us a lot to think about. Man, uh, we've really got a lot of work ahead of us, but we are definitely excited to get this church started. And uh, we're, we're definitely excited to, to team with Mosaic Church of Central Arkansas. They have an incredible vision, this amazing vision uh, for multi-ethnic churches. And I, I really believe that that is the biblical model. And I'm not saying uh, that it's wrong to say, you know, well, you know, people of other races are welcome to join with us. But I really believe that the way that they model intentionality, uh, you know, really being intentional uh, with, you know, trying to uh, to bring all races, all ethnic backgrounds, all cultures into one place to worship together. That is, uh, that is the biblical model of the church. And uh, so anyway, man, I am, I'm really excited to be working with them. But anyway, you know, some of you had asked previously, you'd emailed me previously and asked if there was something that you could do or um, if you could uh, contribute to this church plant that Brian and I are going to be doing. And I wanted to let you guys know that if uh, that we do need your support, if any of you would, um, you know, just take the time to pray about it and see if the Lord would have you support us. You know, we want you to support your local church, of course, but we need uh, support as well. So if God is leading you to do something like this, and if you would like to make a one-time donation, that would be just such a blessing to me and, and to Brian and to our church. Uh, that we're going to be planting. Uh, so if that's something that you would like to do, uh, if uh, if you have prayed about it and the Lord is really leading you to do it, you can send a check to Mosaic Church, P.O. Box 6804. That's Springdale, Arkansas, A-R. The zip is 72765. Again, that's P.O. Box 6804, Springdale, Arkansas, 72765. And of course, any donations made are tax deductible, just like if you donate to uh, our ministry here at BibleStudyPodcast.org. Uh, Mosaic Church is a well-established church down in the Little Rock area, so uh, so it is tax deductible if you make a donation. 
But anyway, God bless you guys. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you've revealed yourself to us, as always. And Lord, we just uh, welcome the opportunity to learn even more about you today as we study your unchanging nature. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity of mind, and I pray that you would help us to understand you more than ever, in order that we could love you more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the most important and yet most misunderstood attributes of God is his immutability, the fact that he is unchanging. In fact, this very attribute is at the heart of one of the biggest rifts in evangelical Christian circles. There are currently some movements out there among Christians which believe and teach that God does indeed change, that he does change. And these aren't just, you know, these fringe groups that are, you know, kind of bordering somewhere between Christianity and and being a cult. Uh, Many of the people who deny God's unchanging nature are recognized as some of Christianity's top theologians. And here, you know, we wonder why Christianity is in, uh, in such poor shape in our day and age. But, you know, before we begin this study, let me remind you that, as we discussed in our introductory lesson, when we talk about God, we do so analogically. And uh, again, this is why I would say, if this is your first time listening to a lesson, make sure you go back and listen to at least the introductory lesson. But when we say that we're speaking about God analogically, we're saying that it's logically impossible for us to speak in a way that exactly describes God. We can't speak in a way that corresponds to him exactly, because our words and our minds are finite, and God is infinite. And as a result, when we read scripture, we have to understand that God is described in finite terms. He's described in human terms, which are intended to be interpreted, uh, you know, metaphorically, and thus figuratively, rather than being interpreted literally. For example, you'll remember that we noted that God is described as being a rock. Uh, That doesn't mean that we think God is really a rock. He's not literally a rock. But what we're saying when we say that God is a rock is that his nature might be likened to a rock in some way. Further, when the Bible speaks of the, the hand of God, or maybe it speaks of the eyes of God, the Bible isn't really describing God as having literal hands uh, or literal eyes, rather, you know, God is spirit and uh, doesn't have parts. So it's impossible for him to have literal hands. Uh, Rather, when we talk about God's hands, we're talking about the work that God does in a way that we as human beings, as finite beings, can understand. And when we talk about God's eyes, we're talking about God's knowledge of things that happen, even though he doesn't witness those things with literal, physical eyes. And this is actually called anthropomorphic speech. Anthropomorphic speech. And anthropomorphism, yeah, try try saying that five times fast. Uh, And anthropomorphism is simply a figure speech in which God is described in human finite terms, but it's communicating an eternal truth about God in a temporal way. So it's describing something eternal in a temporal way. We have to keep in mind uh, all these things when we read or when we find anthropomorphisms in scripture. Now, in light of our understanding of how and why God is described by figures of speech, we need to see how this applies to passages which speak of God's immutability. Now, it's no surprise that we find support for God's immutability, that is his unchanging nature, throughout scripture from beginning 
to end. And I'm just going to list off a few of them here for you guys. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, we read, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Uh, some translations have that say that he should change his mind. Um, and then in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, we read, He who is the glory of Israel, that is God, of course, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. In Psalm uh, 102, verses 26 and 27, we read, They will perish, but you God, remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. And this is also a verse that's quoted in uh, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12. Psalm 110 verse 4 tells us that the Lord, quote, will not change his mind. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, God says, I the Lord do not change. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, we discover that it's impossible for God to lie, and the reason that it's impossible for God to lie is because he is unchanging. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, we read that Jesus, who is God, quote, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So clearly, you know, taking all these verses into account, and you know, many others actually throughout Scripture, we see that God's unchanging nature, His immutability, is a theme that we find over and over again throughout Scripture. Now, when we read that God doesn't change his mind. We don't take this to mean uh, that God has a part of him that we would refer to as his mind. Rather, it's a metaphorical means of communicating the truth that God doesn't change, uh, and it's worded in a way that's similar to what we would you know, say of a person. Uh, a person has a part of themselves that we would refer to as their mind. And usually what we mean when we say that a person changes their mind is that they, uh, they've changed their will, or they're taking a different course of action, or uh, that we've changed our opinion about something. You know, if a person loses the ability to think rationally and logically, we would say that they've lost their mind. Uh, And many of you probably think I have. But, uh, you know, now we're not saying that God doesn't have a mind. Rather, we're saying that because God doesn't have parts, his mind is identical to his essence and his nature. And because his essence and his nature are unchanging, it's logically impossible for God to change his mind as well. Now, logically, this also follows after God's pure actuality. If we're taking a look at God's other attributes, uh, God's pure actuality logically leads to his immutability, his unchanging nature. Because a being with pure actuality has no potential to be something that he already is not. And if there's no potential to be something which is uh, different than he eternally is, than he already is, then there's no potential and there's no capacity to change in any sense. Everything that changes has to have the potential to undergo change within itself. So since God has no potential, he cannot change. Uh, another attribute is God's simplicity. Uh, God's immutability also follows logically from that. You know, he has no parts. That's what we mean when we say that God's simple, not that he's easy to understand. Uh, you know, if something changes, it has to be composed of a substance or parts which have the potential ability to change. Uh, God isn't composed of anything, however. So logically, 
he can't change. It's impossible for something with no parts to change because change means losing or gaining parts. God has no parts and no composition, so he cannot change. Third, the fact that God is absolutely perfect, and this one's a key one, I think. The fact that God is absolutely perfect leads to the logical conclusion that he can't change. If something changes, then it has some new attribute about it after changing that it didn't have before. So if God can acquire something new about him, uh, whether that be attributes or or knowledge, and that's something that we're going to cover here in just a minute, if God can acquire something new about him, like attributes or knowledge, uh, that he didn't already have, then he is growing in perfection. If there is potential for him to grow in absolute perfection, and he's therefore static, uh, then logically, he is not already absolutely perfect. However, God is already absolutely perfect, and therefore it's logically impossible for him to change. And you'll see that a lot of the things that we're talking about through this study, I I will say the word logical or logically a lot, and that's because God is very logical. But anyway, fourth and finally, when we consider what it means for something to change, we realize that it's impossible for God to change. Uh, In order for something to change, it must have originally been in what uh, Thomas Aquinas referred to as a state of potentiality in order for the state to become actual. I realize that this is kind of complicated, but you know, the problem with believing that God can change stems from the fact that nothing which is in a state of potential can become actual on its own. Rather, something in a state of uh, potential change relies on something else outside of itself to actualize that change. In other words, if God changes, then there must be something outside of God which has the ability to actualize the change that occurs within God. But whatever that something outside of God is, uh, it can't have the potential for change. For example, the words that I that I write or the words that I speak have potential by themselves independently, but when I write or speak those words, I make their meaning actual. Uh, whether or not you understand those words is a different subject altogether, but hopefully you do understand what I'm talking about here. But basically, this all boils down to this. It's logically impossible to have an infinite sequence of causes, and therefore every sequence must begin with an unchanging and uncaused cause. And this is actually one of the great proofs for God's existence, by the way. Everything which, uh, which has a beginning must have a cause. There must be an uncaused, unchanging cause which began everything. So uh, anyway, that's, that's the, the logical proof for God's immutability. Let's go ahead and move on to the objections to, uh, to his unchanging immutable nature. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you who are going through this study with us are already raising the objection in your mind uh, to God's immutability that's probably the most common. One of the most common objections to God's immutability is the fact that the Bible says that God does repent sometimes. For example, in the King James translation of Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, we read that God repented that he had created human beings. In the NASB translation, the same verse tells us that God was sorry that he had made humanity on the earth. And obviously, if this were uh, literally true, it would involve change, since God hadn't been sorry for creating humanity from the beginning. So there must have been a change from not being sorry or not repenting to repenting. And similarly, the Bible tells us that God 
relented concerning his promise to destroy the people of Israel who were worshiping the golden calf. And that's what we find in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. God has also said to have repented from his promise to destroy the city of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, The examples of passages in which God is said to relent or repent or to be sorry are abundant indeed. So the question is this. How do we reconcile the verses which say that God doesn't change and doesn't repent with the verses and passages which indicate that he does change, that he does repent? Well, it's really not that difficult, actually. It's just a matter of recognizing that the verses and passages which speak of God changing are speaking of God's infinite actions from a finite perspective. And this is the the anthropomorphic speech that we were mentioning at the beginning of the lesson. When the Bible seems to indicate that God changes, it's saying that God appears to change, not that he actually does change. Just like the sun doesn't really rise in the east, it simply appears to rise. In actuality, you know, the earth is what's moving, which makes it look like or appear as if the sun is rising or moving. The fact of the matter is that God has an unchanging wrath, which burns against all sin, but he also has an unchanging uh, joy or enjoyment of us turning from our sin. So when we turn from our sin, we're the ones who are moving, not God. You know, if I run out of a burning building, the position of the burning building hasn't changed, but my position in relation to the building has So whenever the Bible says that God repents or relents or that he's sorry or changes his mind, it's because the people changed their position and their relation to God. It's not because God himself changed in any way, shape, or form. Now, a second objection is, you know, some people uh, might also object that if God is unchanging, it's impossible for him to respond to our needs or to our prayers. Uh, And in that case, why pray? Why approach him? But, you know, really this argument just wrongly presupposes that God doesn't know or doesn't realize what our needs are before we ourselves even realize or know what our needs are. God knows everything from an eternal now, from an eternal present. And therefore, he does know and he does care about us personally, as well as our individual needs. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, that, quote, before they call... I will answer. Well, how is it possible for God to answer their call if God is unchanging? It's because he's all-knowing of past, present, and future events, which includes the prayers of his children. And similarly, uh, various Christian groups that are out there which deny God's unchanging nature, deny God's immutability, they've argued that an unchanging God cannot know or interact with a world that is constantly changing. In order for God to know the world, his knowledge would have to constantly be changing. But since God's knowledge is identical to his essence and identical to his nature, and since God knows the world, he must change. That's how the argument goes. But in response, we would say that, yes, God's knowledge is indeed identical with his essence. But because God knows all things from one eternal now, He knows the potential changes of the world before those changes are actualized. And therefore, we would say that God knows the changes which have occurred and which will occur in the future, but he doesn't know them in the same way that we do. We know things historically. He knows things from one eternal present. 
present now. God knows the changes which will happen, but he knows them in an unchanging way. We know them in a changing way. Uh, Each being has to have knowledge which is in accordance with its own essence. Finite beings, which is what we are, uh, finite beings know things in a finite way. As an eternal and infinite being, God knows them in an eternal and infinite way. And so therefore, it's impossible for his knowledge of, uh, of time and the events which occur within time to be affected by time, including the passing of time. So if we take those examples of, of instances in which people turned from their sin and God uh, relented or repented from his wrath accordingly, we don't take this to mean that God didn't know before the people repented that they would indeed repent. Rather, God knew from eternity that those people would repent because he knew what those people would freely choose to do. God knows future actions which are done in accordance with human free will in a way that's similar to how we know past actions which were done in accordance with human free will. Now, in closing, uh, you know, we, we talk about the groups which, uh, which deny the attribute that we're talking about. And so today it comes as no surprise that the same groups which have denied the attributes of God, which we've covered previously, also deny the unchanging, immutable nature of God as well. Uh, Mormons, for example, we've covered them every week. Uh, They worship a false god who is really an exalted man uh, and who was once just as human as you and I are right now. Uh, Because he lived a good life, he was exalted to the status of God. And so obviously this involves a change from not being exalted to being exalted. And clearly, again, uh, Mormons do not worship the same God that we as Christians worship. Now, another group uh, which rejects God's unchanging nature is a group that we would refer to as process theologians. They believe that God is in a process. They believe that God might have exhaustive knowledge of past and present events, but that it's impossible for God to know the future because humans have this thing called free will. And so therefore they believe that God is in a constant state of change. However, this stems from a very bad misunderstanding of God's nature and his knowledge. Uh, These process theologians would argue that if it's true that God knows everything that will happen in the future, uh, then God has set those events in stone and that those events are, are therefore unchangeable. And in this case, there's no free will. However, we do have free will, according to these process theologians. So therefore, God doesn't have exhaustive knowledge of the future, and therefore, he's changing. It's a pretty complicated argument, but it's pretty common, believe it or not. You know, we've already addressed this objection. Uh, God is capable of knowing the actions which a person will take in accordance with their free will because he's outside of time. If God is in time, then he is necessarily also in space, since time and space are inseparably linked. Uh, If God is in space, then he could not have created it. If he didn't create it, then uh, he didn't create everything, and there's something above and beyond him. And this isn't just a slippery slope, friends. This isn't just a a straw man argument. This is the logical and necessary conclusion of the process theologian's position. God's knowledge of future events is one of the tests that he offers of his position as God, as the true God. In the book of Isaiah, we find God challenging the people to receive infallible prophecy of future events from their false gods. And why would God issue such a challenge unless he himself has infallible knowledge, exhaustive knowledge 
of future events. Obviously, he wouldn't. He's saying this is something that sets me apart from those false gods. God has exhaustive knowledge of all events, past, present, and future, but does not necessarily determine those events. And so, therefore, we maintain that God is unchanging. So anyway, I hope this makes a lot of sense to you guys. Uh, Hopefully this isn't too complicated. If you have any questions, definitely feel free to contact me. My email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And anyway, I know that this is all a little bit philosophical, but hopefully you guys are uh, are enjoying this anyway. Uh, I'm really enjoying this. But um, anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Thank you.